Well, hi, everybody. I want to welcome you to our podcast, EI on the Fly. It's a podcast about all things early intervention. Um, We are happy to be um, talking about an important topic today, which is bias and the bias we bring to pretty much everything we do. Um, But especially we're going to focus on bias during um, functional assessment. So my name is Dana Childress. I work in Virginia as an early intervention professional development consultant. So I'm on our state's training team and we provide professional development resources like the podcast. Um, for early intervention practitioners in our state. Um, My co-facilitator is Emily. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Emily Webb. I'm the training coordinator for the Early Intervention Training Center here in Massachusetts. Great. Thanks, Emily. So today we um, thought before we jump into our topic, wanted to let you know what what we've um, dived into before today. So our previous episodes have tried to provide an overview of functional assessment in the context of early intervention. And then we've dug a little deeper into some of the components of functional assessment, including how to do good intentional observation, how to gather information from families by asking meaningful questions, and how to use active listening. So today we're um, going to talk about a kind of a broad topic, but one that's pretty important, even inside and outside of functional assessment, and that's implicit bias. So Emily, you want to get us started with talking about a definition, and then we're going to talk about how to recognize it, how it impacts families, um, etc. So go ahead and dive, help us dive in. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about bias. I feel like it's something that often gets kind of glossed over, but I feel like for home visitors especially, it's just really important to reflect on and think about. So I'm excited that we're talking about this today. Yeah, I know it's something that probably, I don't know, maybe an early intervention, I'm not sure we talk enough about because we just assume we are meeting the families where they are. We're trying to be objective. We, we you know, accept all families, but I know like you're going to talk about, we, we really all have bias and sometimes we're not aware of it. Yeah. So when we talk about implicit bias, we're talking about like implicit or unconscious bias that really refers to attitudes or stereotypes that can affect our understanding, our actions, and our decisions in an unconscious manner. These biases can encompass both favorable and unfavorable assessments. So sometimes you might... um, you know, do things, you know, in a good way, or maybe do things in a bad way without even sort of realizing because that's your bias kicking in. They're activated involuntary and without your awareness or intentional control. And it impacts our perceptions, our behaviors, our attitudes, our attention, our listening skills, and micro affirmations. You know, this makes me think because, like you said, it can be involuntary and we're not necessarily aware of it. It what occurred to me when you were saying that was mindfulness. So it so it could challenge for us then because it's involuntary, because we're sometimes not even aware of the impact those perceptions are having. We've got to try to build our own awareness of where our biases might be coming from, what we what they are, so that we can catch ourselves when they yeah. might be affecting our perceptions because those are things we bring to an assessment that could affect the mood and the relationship, that partnership we're building with the family. Yeah. I mean, it affects everything. It affects the way that you talk to the family. It affects the way you respond. It potentially affects like who gets assigned to that family. It is really important that we kind of just pause for a minute and be really mindful about is something inside me triggering that I'm not even realizing. 
Yeah. And how might I be communicating that? You know, I think about subtle body language. I was actually listening to another podcast recently and the presenter was talking about communication and how only 7% of what you communicate is through your words. And I can imagine how some of that unfavorable assessments you mentioned could be communicated through subtle eye rolling or sounds or the way you shift your body. And these families would pick up, you know, so not only do we not want to send those messages, but it's important to think about why we're thinking those ways, things that could result in some unfavorable assessments of families or family situations. Yeah. So I think you're starting to get into like, how can we recognize it? Mm -hmm. So what, 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 as what are, what are things home visitors can do to help themselves recognize when their implicit biases? Yeah, I think that's a tricky one. I think, like you said, talking about think being committed to recognizing, being aware of them, maybe having conversations with others um, about those biases, supervisors and staff meetings, things, you know, bringing this topic up. I, I, I think we tend to talk about, you know, how to write a good IFSP or that challenge situation I had on a home visit yesterday when and maybe not digging into kind of underlying perceptions like a bias. So having good conversations, I think being open to observation, having somebody else observe you, give you some feedback on where those, where, you know, some an implicit bias might be popping up or even, which this can be painful, but recording yourself and listening back with an open mind um, to try to recognize. We also have an activity we have done at trainings here in Virginia that um, challenges practitioners. We've done this with service coordinators and service providers, but to reframe. So we have a series of statements and there might be things that we've all heard in early intervention. Unfortunately, some of us have said them or we've heard others say things like, um, they don't want to learn English or they have too many children or that parents really just not paying enough attention to her child, which, you know, you could take those as, okay, let's just reframe them in the positive, you know, um, they value their culture or, um, they, they love having a large family, you know, there's all kinds of ways to reframe, but looking even deeper to the reframing for why do you have that judgment when you meet that family? What is it about that situation? That's a trigger for you. I think that's a deep conversation to have. Absolutely. Um, there's a really interesting bias tool online. And I think if people just Googled bias tool, it would probably pop up. But it it's kind of this like, it shows you like little videos, and then you kind of answer questions. And it gives you a report out of the areas where you sort of struggled in, in your bias or the areas that you were maybe more biased or less biased. And it's a helpful tool to kind of help you reflect and think about are there certain areas within bias that I really am um, not even aware that is more of a hot button for me. And that would be a really good activity to have, you know, um, if you meet in small teams or even, you know, a larger team, have everybody do it and then come back with their results and just have conversations because, you know, we all have bias. We all have implicit bias. All of us do. It's we're humans. It's it's our human nature. And it might feel like it's, you know, a difficult conversation to have. But when everybody comes back with um, information from this online tool to say, yep, I have it. I, I have it. Let's talk about it. It can make um, a potentially vulnerable conversation a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, I was thinking that too. It almost normalizes the idea that you can't, you almost can't help it. Everybody has the ability to judge and we do. And sometimes we're not even aware that we do. So 
bringing that tool together. I love that idea. I haven't seen that tool. I'm going to check it out. Um, I love the idea of something almost kind of simple that everyone can reflect on just to bring out bring out the elephant in the room in a safe way. Yeah, it was interesting. I was recently at a training that had to do with bias working for the state. We have the opportunity to um, do lots of different professional development that's focused on a wide variety of different things. So when I saw this bias training came up, come up, I said, oh, I'm really excited about that. And one of the activities that he did is he showed different pictures of, of different people and kind of asked, would you hire this person to do this? Or would you hire that person to do this? Or what was your initial, you know, reaction when you saw this? And so he put up a picture of a man he was wearing like a white tank top and he had full arm sleeve tattoos both up and down both of his arms Mm -hmm. and he said would you hire this man to be your doctor and I was it was interesting and my first thought was would this guy ever be hired as a doctor like Mm -hmm. are there doctors out there with full arm sleeve tattoos and I thought about it and I was like well for myself I don't whatever Sure, he can be my doctor. But I was thinking about it for my children and specifically for my child with developmental delays. I was, to be honest, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, there's no way. I I wouldn't. I would not choose him to be my child's doctor. And then um, the facilitator showed the same picture of the guy in a lab coat. And you just looked at him very differently. It It was really a fascinating activity to get you think about like, yeah. Like, yeah, you do have thoughts and feelings and you don't even realize it until somebody asks you. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. And I I love something like that, that sort of knocks you in the forehead, you know, and makes you realize something you hadn't maybe realized before. You remind me of there's a commercial on now. I don't remember if it's what brand it is or anything, but there's a woman who um, sitting, she's moved into a neighborhood and the lady next to her says, oh, you have a tattoo. Do you work? (laughs) It's a great example of a bias, you know, and the lady with the tattoo just kind of looks you in their wide eyed, like, imagine a family that's faced with that you might not even realize you're doing it but how uncomfortable it could make the family when your bias is shared and you aren't even aware of it yeah so my husband gets that all the time so my husband is um dark-skinned and Mm -hmm. people just automatically assume he speaks spanish i can't even tell you how many people have come up to him (laughs) and just start speaking spanish and the poor guy doesn't speak a lick of spanish like and he just looks like really like you're just going to assume i speak spanish because of the color of my skin like oh yeah how how about we have a conversation first and not in spanish right right like (laughs) that's so funny i know i it makes me think too about and i i'm amazed this still happens but even something as minor when you think about experiencing bias against you like at the car repair shop you know you go in I'll talk to them. They'll tell me whatever they'll tell me. I'm like, I can't get through to the guy about what's happening. I have my husband call who knows nothing about cars, really. And then they will spill the beans to him or speak to him in a different language or look at him instead of look at me while they're explaining like somehow they're supposed to be in the male genes some understanding of of cars i mean it's it's a it's a minor experience it's nothing that you know really deeply affects me but but when you're on the receiving end of it it can absolutely change the way you handle the situation yeah yeah and how you respond and then also like if you go back like you might not go back to that car shop Mm -hmm. you know like "Mm, Mm -hmm. i didn't feel like they respected me so i'm gonna go find somewhere else yeah or 
if you're like me, then I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. I'm going to go Google that problem with the car and you're going to see that I know some stuff and like, I'm totally faking it the whole time. But, you know, some families you might find that, you know, okay, well, if that's the way you're going to treat me, I'm going to show you what I can do. And really, we don't want families to feel like they have to prove anything to us, right? Like me and the car guy, we want them to feel like it's an equal partnership that's that's built on respect and not on assumptions that may or may not be correct. Yeah. And I think when you take the time to check your bias, and I definitely can say this as having home visiting experiences, when you take the time to kind of check your bias and sit back, you learn so much from that family about the way that they're thinking or the way that they do things. And you're like, wow, like this is really fascinating and interesting. And I want to learn more and you know, then you end up going home and Googling like some of the things that they do or celebrate or, you know, are mm-hmm. into and you're like, wow, this is really fascinating. Well, you know, I remember a long time ago, going to an initial assessment having, you know, it was first time I would have met the family. And we walk in and um, there was lots of symbols and things around the room. And the mother, as we were talking, s- reveals that um, they, I'm not sure how you say this, but they practice Wicca, you know, Wiccan, I'm not sure how you say it, but um, they, and so I could see people on my team kind of like their eyes got big and they're looking at each other like, oh, what does this mean? What do we do with this? But I remember having to catch myself and thinking that may or may not have any effect on anything we're doing. You know, it's not my not my role to judge it as a good thing or not thing. So I asked her, I just like, so tell me more about that. What does that mean for your family? And she told us some things that I could t- tell made some of my colleagues a little uncomfortable. But in the end, it was really fascinating to find out about actually what it ended up being her family's love of nature how they spent a lot of time outside. And I don't know, I just like trying to approach it from an open perspective, knowing I didn't know much about it. And it wasn't my job to judge one way or the other, whether this was something I would accept or a good thing or a bad thing. It really just wasn't what I was there to do. But let me learn about it because, you know, admittedly, like the car guy, I didn't know a lot. Um, and, And when it came down to it, it, it wasn't something their their family's belief wasn't necessarily something that was directly affecting or not affecting the child's developmental delay, but it was part of who they were. Yeah, so it was really yeah. part of my job just to learn, be open, and then let's let's move forward with writing the IFSP. You know, it. But I just remember that moment of, oh, like I'm not even sure. I wasn't even sure in the moment why I had that reaction. It just was something that. I didn't know about, but, you know, can be a little taboo in culture. But I ended up being pretty fascinated with the things the mother was telling me. So it was a great learning opportunity and a moment for me to catch myself. And I think my team members were doing that too. You know, that reveal sometimes that happens on an assessment or in a home visit that you're not ready for, but you've got to be prepared for as much as you can for how you manage yourself to be open and accepting for the family, whether maybe, and there might've been people there that had a strong feeling one way or the other about it, but it just wasn't our place to express that. It was more a place to be accepting of the family and to learn about them with them. Which I think is really important. Nationally, we have a key principle that talks about that all families with the necessary supports and resources can enhance their child's development and learning. And if we think of the idea about all families relating to bias, Bias can make it so we don't necessarily believe that all families can do that. 
that's impactful. And we need to think about this. We really have to be reminded that it's true that all families can do these things. All families really have the best interests of their children at heart. And when early intervention provides the right supports and resources, they're really going to be able to see their children flourish and develop and grow. I think about all the things that we've talked about throughout the podcast, and I'm really starting to wonder, how can bias impact your observations? Yeah, that's a great one. You know, I love that idea. Like, how deeply do we really, um, I don't know, absorb or believe the all families piece? So when we're, yeah, when we're observing a family, and maybe they have interactions that are different than what we would do with our kids, or we observe that the TV's on all the time, you know, how how far do we go with judging that situation or assuming making an assumption that may or may not be true and probably doesn't really matter anyway if we think if we believe all families are doing their best and what it looks like to support their child's development could look differently and that's okay um, i think that could change the way we process the observations because whatever we observe we're looking through the lens of our own perceptions which like you said is affected by our, you know, our bias. So what we observe may actually may or may not be true because we're looking through our own lens. There's this great Cephal video within the infant toddler modules. And the video is what I assume to be a mom interacting with her toddler. I don't know. Cephal doesn't give you a lot of um, information about the video, but while they're interacting, it looks like the mom is cleaning up toys rather than playing with the toddler. So then towards the end, you realize as a baby crawls into view that she was dealing with both of her kids. It's a short video and we show it during trainings and we ask people for their observations. It's really fascinating to watch the light bulb go off for people when they realize, wow, my bias is really impacting my observations. They start to wonder and say things like, did I really see those things? Or those things that I inferred by the way I felt the mom should have been making eye contact. You know, you'll hear people say like, here I was thinking that she wasn't paying attention to her child when reality she's paying attention to the baby who's out of view of the camera. So many teams have been like, wow, I really need to think about that. You know, we facilitate conversations about what you think from one quick observation. You know, if you are with a family for, you know, one minute and 11 seconds like this video clip is, and based on those observations, you're assuming that the mom can't interact with their chi- her child or the mom is depressed, those thoughts can really impact things like who you assign to that family. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't know, is that the right person mm-hmm. for the family or did your impact really, did your bias really impact that decision? Yeah, because we get such little snapshots of families, you know, whether it's on the intake or the assessment or your home visits. I constantly try to remind myself, I know when I was a practitioner all the time and now with, you know, being a practitioner just for a family or two, that like even when I'm there, I might feel like I've got a good sense of what's going on, but I'm there for such a tiny, like one to 2% of that child's entire week. Yeah. You know, I'm just there for such a tiny little bit that hour that we're there. Um, So putting observations in context 
is hard sometimes. I think that can help by yeah. gathering more information from families to, you know, more than just what you think you see. Yeah. And also, you know, I will say from the perspective of a parent is like, no matter how good of a relationship we have, you are still a visitor. Like mm -hmm. there have been times where I've gotten up at four o'clock in the morning to vacuum and mop the floor. Like there, that happens. Like you are still a visitor in my house and there's things, again, no matter how great the relationship between us is that I don't necessarily, like, I, I don't want you to see me yell at my children. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> want you to see me lose my cool. Like, yes. you know, I don't want you to see my floors muddy. And I, you know, I, I even have a coworker and I was laughing because I was not a parent when she was telling me this story of, she's like, one time I was hiding the dirty dishes in my laundry basket because I didn't want them to see the dirty dishes. And I was like, that's crazy. And now here I am, the mom, like, sometimes I get up at 3.30 in the morning to mop the floor. So it is, you know, you can have the greatest relationship, but your presence definitely does impact, you know, that, that family. And your presence changes the situation too. Like I always yeah. think about this, even when we're trying to do a naturalistic observation, we just want to see how mealtime works or we want to see how, you know, whatever, playing outside works. It's inherently different because a different person is there. You know, there's no, unless we, I guess there's a, somebody's videotaping it and we're watching a video, it, you know, it, our presence changes things. There's just so many variables that yeah. we need to be aware of when we're trying to get a real picture because that snapshot observation may or not be real. I mean, gosh, I think about my own self personally, there are some days and times when I'm like, boy, I'm glad I work at home by myself because somebody might not <laughs> want to have seen that on, you know, we're just, we have our <laughs> moments that maybe we don't want to share. And we all know two-year-olds have those moments too. Yeah. Yeah. So then it also, you know, it gets me to think about how can our bias impact our ability to interview people? Mm-hmm. Don't you think that would be, I think it could come across in the words you use, the tone of voice you use, um, the questions we choose to ask or not ask, certainly. Yeah, I think it also can really come across uh, in the matter of, do you actually believe what the family answered? Oh, yeah. And if, you, if you're not believing because of some sort of bias that has kind of been kicked off on you that you don't even realize, how that definitely is going to impact the information that you're going to get and sort of your next steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what you pay attention to, you know, I've, I have felt that before in the past on assessments when a family's reporting something and, you know, you get the sort of the willies going, gosh, I'm surprised that child can do that. You know, in your head, you're thinking that, or I can he really say that many words, you know, in, in your head, you're, you're questioning the situation. And, and some of that, I don't know, some of it may be not be bias, it might be more from experience, but um, but examining why you question that is probably what's what's really important in that moment because you know, the research says parents are typically really good reporters on their child. Um, now whether they, you know, whether you've asked the question in a way that makes it clear for the family, that's another thing to report on. And so how you approach it, whether you think the family will understand how you how you, you know, what words you choose it seems to me like that could almost express your bias in a way that affects the answer you would get yeah i mean or, and even sometimes the way you frame the question so i've yeah. i've said before that we in massachusetts we serve families that are at risk for having a developmental delay either based on um 
you know, the child's history or some of the things that are potentially going on with the family. And there's definitely, you know, if you walk into a certain house in a certain neighborhood, you might just assume that none of those risk factors apply. Mm-hmm. And so y- you just don't ask. Mm, yeah. And and think about like you could be missing a lot of information or, or you could be potentially missing eligibility, you know, if that that family does have some of those factors that could make them eligible for services. But you just kind of assumed based on, you know, the neighborhood, the house, the vibe you got walking in. Like, I'm not, I don't need to ask those questions here. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point because those environmental I don't know, environmental factors could certainly affect how you gather information and even the lens you view the family through. I remember um, meeting a family once who lived in a, um, like a subsidized housing area and um, really nice, really, really nice family. And this child had this name that was like Jefferson, you know, Brandon Jefferson, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was this big name for this little kid. And the mother told us, she said, I intentionally chose his name because I have big plans for him. And it was so amazing that it was just not what I expected, you know, where I found myself that day. And it reminded me of, you've probably heard of the studies that they've done where, um, this is more with adults, but they'll hand out resumes to people to review with certain names. Like it might be, you know, a sort of a more um, common name and then a you know less common name and ask people who yeah. they would hire and by and large people with exact same qualifications people hire the people with the more anglo sounding name mm-hmm. um, you know just it's just a bias from your name from it could be like you said from the street someone lives on i mean those are things really really to think a lot about yeah definitely and then it it definitely can impact our ability to actively listen mm-hmm. and and are we really able to actively listen if we're feeling like this family isn't a good reporter or this mom doesn't have the ability to understand the questions or mm-hmm. all of these things that we've really talked about you know and i wonder if it seems to me like to help you recognize how bias may impact observations, the questions you ask, how you listen, it seems like having the opportunity to have some good reflective supervision with someone else could be beneficial. Yeah, because somebody else could reflect with you on why you chose to say that or why you chose that question to ask. Um, Because without I think without somebody helping us do that, it might be harder to be aware of how those biases could impact something like your ability to actively listen that's a hard thing to think about without feedback from someone else. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times with this bias, again, nobody is doing anything intentional. Nobody is going in and being like, I'm I'm not going to listen or I'm, I'm not going to ask certain questions. It's, it's, it's innately in us. It's, it's who we are. We don't even realize it's happening. And so I think this idea of getting really good reflective supervision is, is key in helping you recognize what sets your bias off and and why yeah so that makes me think about um i guess it would be important to try not just to be aware of that you have them but to think about where bias comes from so what kind of things do y'all talk about in training emily for where bias might come from we talk about your upbringing the way you were raised Mm -hmm. the way you think children should play the way you think families should interact with their children a lot of that comes from the way that you were interacted with or the way that you were played with during your upbringing. 
You know, your upbringing has a huge impact on some of this implicit bias. And it's simply because of your life experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, and that almost when you think upbringing, you think of childhood. But what occurred to me, too, is upbringing through your education. Like, how did you come up in your training? And yeah. a colleague of mine talks a lot about um, implicit bias as early childhood educators or folks in the early childhood field that we think, you know, every kid should have books and should play with puzzles and should, you know, sh- all the shoulds. And um, that's a challenging situation in a room full of educators or therapists or service coordinators from early childhood backgrounds because our um, professional upbringing tells us yes these things are true our research says yes kids you know should be read to but i think it crosses into a bias when we impose that on a family as opposed to just sharing when it, when the time is right, you know, in the context of discussions with families, especially if if this is wrapped around their priority to help their child, maybe you know, add words to vocabulary or whatever, to share the research and let them know the importance of early literacy, but without saying, but you should be reading books to him because yeah. that's when you cross, I think, from sharing what you know, sharing the the evidence to imposing your view of parenting or parent-child interaction on a family. So you could say, oh, well, that's just semantic, but I don't think it is. I think it, it has to do with the emotion you leave behind when you say that. Yeah. Um, because if you share the information based on your experience and your knowledge, and then the family can make an informed decision on their own, that's one thing. But when you try to make the decision for them, I think that's another that can be clouded by your bias. Just even thinking about the way that we play. In my house, I don't really get on the floor and play one-on-one with my kids with a toy. When they have a toy, I'm like, oh, yes, I can empty the dishwasher. Or I can quickly you know, go in the other room and send that email. <laughs> when they're busy, that's my time. Yeah. And I definitely interact with them all day long, but our play is much more social in nature. Mm-hmm. We like to go back and forth being silly and goofy. I definitely don't really play, yeah. like I said, one-on-one with a toy. And there are likely people out there that think that I should be, especially reflecting on the fact that I have a child with developmental delays. Mm -hmm. And if that's what you're thinking as a early intervention provider, and that's not what I'm interested in as the parent, then what could that potentially mean for services? Definitely. You know, I always try, I wrestle with all of that too, because I think, Oh, well, you know, play, you hear the, what was it? I was going to say the Pavlov thing. He's the dog guy, the Piaget thing where, um, you know, play is the work of children, but there are many, many more children in the world who don't have Fisher Price toys and they grow up just fine, or they don't have that perfect little book that everybody's talking about and they grow up and they can read. It doesn't mean those experiences aren't beneficial to them, but it doesn't mean that those, you know, those particular specific experiences are required. Have you seen that movie, Babies? No. Oh my goodness, you have to watch it. So it's like four or five babies from all different cultures all around the world. It shows like one family where they tie the baby to the bed while their mom goes and works out in the field. There's another one where the baby is out on the field just like in with the livestock, like cows and goats and different things. There's this little baby in Africa and like he's just playing with these two rocks, banging them, doing all different things with these two rocks. There's a child in the U.S. who's at like a really structured play group. Oh, I would love that. It's such a great video. And the video ultimately ends with them all sort of turning into toddlers and taking their first steps. Yeah. And I think it really reminds us that it doesn't matter what path you take as long as you get there. 
oh my gosh, Dana, you have to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's a great video to help us to begin to have conversations with bias. You know, if this is what we think, then what about some of these families who've had experiences with these upbringings? What if, what if the mom you're working with has experienced being tied to the bed while her mom worked out in the field? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just her experience. Yeah, but oh my gosh, I bet everybody who was listening to the podcast just the the hairs went up on the back of their neck when they heard you say a baby was tied to a bed. Yeah. Like you know, I read uh, I don't know if it was based on the same thing. I have this beautiful photography book called Babies and it's babies all over the world and there's an image I remember that just struck me when um it's this little one maybe 2 months old that's tied in this sort of hammock thing hanging from the ceiling of a hut and all you can see is the baby's little head but the baby's just looking everywhere because in this culture they don't let the baby touch the ground for the certain a certain amount of wow. months due to their beliefs and so you're like this baby's hanging from the ceiling but the baby is perfectly happy is involved in whatever everybody else is yeah. doing it's just this little sling looks quite safe but you know my gut reaction was so different culturally than what I'd experienced yeah. but Okay, that's okay that I had that reaction, but then I need to reflect on it. Yeah. You know, that's the piece I think that's important. You you know, you're going to have a reaction to hearing things that are different than your experience. But but that's okay. Spend some time with them. Don't make a judgment about a family because of them. That's where your bias comes in. Yeah. The other thing is that our our experiences really impact bias. Right. It can be your own life experiences or even your professional experiences. If you've had lots of experiences, both good or maybe bad, in a particular neighborhood, your bias might go off in that neighborhood because of those past experiences. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's right or that all families from that neighborhood are the same or that you're going to have the same experiences with all of those families. Oh, yeah. I think that's a great one because... That's one of the fun things about early intervention is the variety of experiences and places we get to go. But it it's, it also can affect your perceptions, for sure, of yeah. your community. Lastly, your bias really comes from your brain makeup. When I went to that training, they talked about the brain science of bias and how your brain goes to bias because it's a shortcut. Hmm. You know, the shortcut is based on your upbringing or your experiences. And there's this automatic trigger that really takes you to that shortcut and they talked about how often our brain is wrong without us even ever realizing it Mm -hmm. that's fascinating i read a book not too long ago about that about basically you know the message was don't believe what your brain tells you because (laughs) most of the time it's wrong And, and it just was really made me like put the brakes on because you've always got that little voice chattering away in your head and a lot of times it's just not right you don't have to believe what you're almost like what you're telling yourself like you can question that and dig a little deeper and change it you have a lot of power to change you may not be able to change your genetic makeup but you know we know we can change the way we think by bringing awareness to to how we view the world yeah being reflective being mindful seeking out supervision all of these things yeah because like i think Probably I hope folks are going to leave this podcast with the message that we all have it. You, there's just no such thing as saying, well, I'm, I don't have any biases. We do. And the first step is to being aware of that, accepting it, and then digging deeper into them. 
Absolutely. Well, we hope um, that you all listening to the podcast today have had the chance to think a little bit about um, your own biases and will continue to dig a little deeper. Maybe seek out that online tool that Emily talked about, that bias tool. Maybe we can add um, a link if we can find that um, with our podcast as well. But it sounds like a great example, just a place to dig a little deeper. So we hope you'll join us on future episodes. We're um, going to be moving into talking about the IFSP and developing the IFSP, writing up our assessment results, our narrative, um, thinking about developing outcomes and determining services and bringing everything together we've talked about so far, um, sort of pulling at all this these perspectives on functional assessment and then thinking about how do they affect what actually goes into the plan, which then affects the services that we provide to families. So we hope you'll join us next time. We hope you'll take a little time to reflect on what we talked about today and join us as we dig a little deeper into IFSP development. So thanks everybody for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.